Welcome to the Alkaline Unplugged podcast. I'm Erin Parazuski, a functional fitness expert and holistic health coach. I am the founder and CEO of Alkaline, a health and wellness company that operates boutique fitness franchises across the U.S. I live in Menlo Park, California with my husband and two young daughters. I am joined by my podcast partner, Kathy Purnell, a master instructor at Alkaline and a former special education teacher. She has three grown daughters and lives in Los Altos with her husband, Jeff. Together, we bring you Alkaline Unplugged, a collection of conversations on a whole host of topics, from experts in the health and wellness field to the real, raw, and human stories of people like you and me. We look forward to bringing you content that will nourish your mind, body, and soul. We thank you for tuning in and look forward to your comments and feedback. If you like what you hear, we'd appreciate a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. As a disclaimer, neither Kathy nor I are licensed medical professionals. The materials and content in this podcast are intended to be general information and are not to be considered a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hi, welcome to Alkaline Unplugged. We're here today with Kieran Gand. She's a parenting coach. She also happens to be an Alkaline client and a good friend of ours, but I'd like to introduce her and let her share who she is and what she's all about. Great. Well, thank you so much, Kathy and Erin. It's great to be here. Um, my name is Kieran Gand. I am a mom and an alkaline client and an owner of a coaching practice called The Connected Family. I also um, have curated and facilitate an online group on Facebook called Pressure Proof Kids, which is you know, a, a name of a body of work that I've been working on pretty hard for the last few years, just to provide support to parents in communities like ours in the Silicon Valley and also across the country where there is a lot of pressure for families to achieve at the highest levels, um, keep up with, like in the Bay Area, incredible financial pressures um, and to kind of decide how to show up for their kids when they're really trying to raise them to be, you know, the best in our in our country. And I think a lot of um, parents are just feeling the need to have more conversation, to be more open, to have more support, to have more connection, and to be more real about how challenging this can be, both for them and obviously with the rising mental health challenges for teens across the board. Um, you know, there are many things that are related to that, but I think many, most parents, including all of us sitting here, we just want our kids to be healthy and to get through their, their whole upbringing without having these mental health crises. And so that's what I'm passionate about. I'm a former high school teacher and also a high school systems redesigner that I've been involved with some projects supported by the Gates Foundation and by Stanford University and have had some you know big success as a coach and consultant and also a teacher leader of of some big like school redesign projects so I try to bring all of that insight and some of my own research and passion for kids and for, especially for teens to this work and just create conversation Yes. This is super topical right now, Kieran, when you read the newspaper and you read of, you know, teen suicide and the college scandal. Um, you know, it's a it's a lot, you know, I can look from as Aaron pointed out, the the other side because I've my three 
daughters are all grown and on their own. And, um, you know, raising kids is, is hard work. Um, and there are so many pressures out there today. And we, I think at the end of the day, we all want to do the best for our children. And sometimes parents, um, are misguided or make choices because they feel like it's so important that their high schooler gets into Harvard or, you know, to set them up to get the best job. And at the end of the day, what's, in my opinion, more important is that we want to raise our kids to be responsible, kind, caring of sound mind and body people. And so I think the work that you're doing is hugely important. And I applaud you for that. Thank you. Yeah, there's no shortage of need here for what you're doing. Um, and I think it's just, yeah, it is really important to, as I'm raising now almost six-year-old and an almost 10-year-old, I've, I think about it every day, taking a step back and thinking, what are these decisions or actions or examples we're setting now? How is this going to affect them 10, 20, 30 years from now? So. Absolutely. And I also have two girls who are um, 10 and seven. And I think I do, you know, my best. I'm not perfect parent either. I'm a human like all of us and um, am facing the same questions and pressures and challenges that everybody in the Pressure Proof Kids community is dealing with. And I'm very open about that and transparent. I talked this week about um I made a post that I had like the talk with my 10 year old and it was like, not that talk, but the tech talk, the phone talk. And it was like this big talk about her coming to me at 10 and, um, you know, and it's come up of course before 10, but now it's really coming up. Like all my friends are getting their phones next year, mom. I want an iPhone. Please get me an iPhone for my birthday. And a lot of the stuff I've been posting in the group, um, has I think I I've took a step back this week because I and I said this in my post I was like I probably have come across as this like anti tech kind of hardliner which in perfect worlds I guess I would be but I and I have friends like one of my best friends from college in San Francisco sends her kid to like Waldorf where you sign and I was educating my ten year old about this this week and she was like really but you know they sign a contract in preschool and and he's gonna go through it all the way where they have absolutely zero tech, not even recorded music, which for me, wow. I couldn't live without. So I feel like it's no, too No extreme. Spotify? Yeah. We would, I would wow. No alkaline? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No we alkaline Recorded music? I mean, which, you, come on. Acapella. Well, you have to play your little recorder, I guess, if you want to play your music <laughs> or knit whatever your entertainment. But I, so, you know, too extreme. But I was like, could you imagine that? I said that to my 10 year old and she was like, so even when they're sitting in a restaurant, like they can't even look up and watch the TV. And I was like, yep, you signed a contract. You can't do it. And she was like, oh my God. So I was like, so when I, we, we're having this. Life's not so bad for her. <laughs> so this conversation, please remember that I, at least I didn't sign you up for Waldorf. And I, what it all turned out was, and I respect her desire is I think at the core of it, it's like she might is probably going to be going to a different school next year. We're looking into some privates for lots of different reasons. And that's a whole other conversation. But um, so this core group of girlfriends, she friends she has from elementary in the neighborhood, she wants to keep in touch and she cares about that. And they have these little groups on like WhatsApp, which I was glad to hear that they're keeping in touch 
not through like some social media thing. They're not there yet. And WhatsApp, I feel like you can have it on a phone without the internet. And it's, you know, so I started doing some research and I realized that there's this Nokia 3310 where it, you can text, you can call, and you can, it has a little screen. You can load up a couple apps, but it has no internet. And so I was like, hmm, it opened my mind. I started opening my mind to how can I work with her to meet the needs that I actually really respect and want her to feel connected connection. to yeah. her friends. Connection and then avoiding that distraction. There's a fine line, right? Yeah, For all of us. I mean, how often do I find myself talking on the phone and on my computer at the same time? I'm not giving, giving either of those two points, my full attention. Yeah. I just sent out an email to our um, desk staff because there's a lot to get done when people are at Alkaline and there's a lot of time spent on the phone and a lot of stuff that's not getting done. And the title was, if you give an Alkaline or an iPhone, dot, 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 like nothing gets done basically. And so we've been doing some more stuff in mindfulness where we ask people to self-report like how much time they spent on their phone, not in a like policing way, but in a, or we ask a question um, like on our daily checklist, like what did you do today instead of checking your phone? Mm-hmm. I love that question. Yeah. I because, need that question because I end up on my phone a lot too. And, and I we, feel, so we model that. We model that. Kids, so that's really hard too. When well, I'm with them, I try really hard, but when they're at school and I have to get this done and that done, it is a source of distraction for me. And I'm working really hard to actually be mindful of that in my daily life. What am I doing besides being on my phone? So of course, exercise, time with the kids, time with writing is huge, right? We got to yep. get that done. And just like really um, being outdoors, getting fresh air and, and like being productive, that book, deep work, you know? So anyway, back to this whole phone, the talk, the tech talk, you know, which they didn't, we, our parents didn't have to deal with that, but it's, it went really well. And one of the things I think I most wanted to communicate to my daughter, which I did was that, you know, I trust you. Like, I think you have a really good head on your shoulders. It, I don't want this conversation to make you feel like I'm so scared about you doing wrong or whatever. It's not about, it's actually, I can honestly say that I don't feel that way about you. Thank goodness. That feels good as a mom that I feel that way. But what I don't totally trust is the way these phones are designed, the internet. And I don't definitely don't trust social media for like, I don't think kids this age should be on Instagram and stuff. I don't. And like maybe later I'd be open to it. But I think for right now, this is enough. It's enough tool. And she, you know, she still wants the iPhone, but I'm holding the line and saying, you know, later on, we'll, we'll cross that bridge. But right now this is a good fit, you know? Yeah. And the pros of having a phone are learning communication. Like I feel like when, when I get there with my child right now, we're using the home phone because we're like in the age of the dinosaurs. We should be the, (laughs) I think we might be the Flintstones for uh, Halloween next year. We still have a home phone, but like my kids walked home from school today. And then I said, when you get there, call me from the, and she left a message. Hi, mommy. It's Ava. Just letting you know that we got home safely. Like it's teaching her communication and phone etiquette and responsibility. And with, you know, with things like technology comes additional responsibility and that, and, and that trust you're talking about is a, is a two way street and it's something that needs to be earned. Like I always tell my kids, it's it's, broken. I told her, you know, if we go down this path, which it could happen, you're human, we make mistakes. And if, and you're going to make mistakes 
and it depends how big they are and there are going to be consequences. And if it's big enough, you may lose the phone. You know what I'm saying? So don't, we can't take it for granted. Plus I also do the whole thing about, you know, there's kids sitting over in this place in where there's gunshots outside and their parents can't afford to put food on the table. So they're definitely not talking about the kind of phone, Nokia versus iPhone. Yes. So like the fact that you can, we can even have that conversation is like such a privilege and she's like, okay, mom, okay. You know, she, but I think that's important too, because a lot of families can't even afford to give this to for themselves, much less to their kids. It's also you know? a great example of collaboration with your child, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to being a dictator and it will be my way or the highway, which I think often leads to kids, you know, trying all, yeah, being secretive, rebelling, all those things. And you had a genuine conversation with her where you explained what your thoughts were about that. She had the opportunity to explain to you why she thought the phone was a valuable, was going to serve her. And then you had the conversation about, and, you know, this is what I'm willing to consider now moving forward. It could look something different, you know, keeping possibilities open without feeling so rigid and it felt really good yeah, and she good. i noticed her eyes lit, Way to lit go, up thank you coach. thank you well <laughs> and it, her eyes got light when i said I, there was a point in the conversation where she kept pushing and pushing on this because she's a very like she's gonna she could be a lawyer or something someday you know maybe but um she was like on the iphone thing pushing and i just said you know i i was in my method that I teach, there's the connection piece, which I think I covered. And then there's the authenticity. And I was like, I'm going to just keep it real with you. I'm scared. Like I'm scared. (laughs) If I go down that path, what if I screw this up? What if I give you too much and it's too much and it seems like it's too big an important deal. I don't want to screw it up. Sorry. Um, we have two of our three yes. are fighting a little cold and have, you may notice their sexy voice. We need to be, I practicing. Do. <laughs> we need to be practicing more self-care. And yes. Sleep tonight in our self-love yes, I'm um, eight challenges, tonight. eight hours for of sleep sure. tonight. Um, yeah, I think this brings up kind of the question too, which I think as parents, we, it's not just you and your kids. I also feel like you're constantly compared to other parents and other kids but who's which, comparing us to other parents i everybody i think we can i think adults and kids and this person has that thing and my friend has that and they got this and they got to go there uh, you know like it happens already my kids have noticed like well this person goes on vacation all the time and you know there's all these yeah like yeah my my daughter the other day said i wish i lived in Aunt Carrie's house. It's more fun. It has a basement. And I always bring it back to like, we're, we're so lucky to have a roof over our head. And, um, yeah, so there is, I mean, that's just the, I guess, human nature, right? The comparison. And so I kind of like, even though the Waldorf thing sounds like a very, um, extreme, extreme, the fact that (laughs) those parents agreed to like cope, you know, it's like takes a village, right? So they agreed to, to do something with, intention. And I think that's kind of like, for me, what I'm trying to do with, um, you know, even with, I, I don't control who my kids hang out, but I do have a little bit more influence now because they're, and so I, I definitely encourage those friendships and hanging out with those families who have, you know, similar values, right? Definitely. Excuse me. <coughs> yeah, it was interesting. I went to um, Marin Catholic High School back in the Stone Age of 19 
in the 80s, early, real early 80s, graduated in 81. So let's say late 70s, whatever. <laughs> um, and we were definitely, you know, grew up in Marin, middle class. My dad busted his ass. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, but at Marin Catholic, there was a lot of money. And I remember we would have free dress once a, once a month. So imagine the pressure, you know, for girls. And I would come home and say, mom, all the girls are going shopping to get their new outfit for free dress. And my mom finally looked at me and she said, honey, you need to get used to the fact there, there are going to be plenty of people that have far more than you have, but there are 10 times that, that have less than you have. And so I think I always shared that with my kids too. My kids were abundantly blessed and have lived a great life. And there've always been kids who, you know, on spring break went to, you know, Bora Bora or, you know, where we were lucky to go see grandma and grandpa in Orange County, but it's okay. It's totally okay. And I think, you know, my kids are better for that, not having everything handed to them and not, you know, they didn't really have an allowance, but when they were in high school, they worked and their spending money was what they made working at Adventure Toys. Well, they say there's so much more um, um, fulfillment and happiness or whatever you want to label it from things that you earn, right? So I listen to, of course, I also listen to Oprah's podcast, which is like ranks just below ours in terms of um, <laughs> listeners. Super soul Sunday. <laughs> Super soul Sunday. But she interviewed, um, it was something about aging, dy- dynamic aging or something. And she was interviewing all these supermodels, like from years past, right? People who just- yeah, Imagine the baggage with that. Yeah. And how they were saying- you know, they, all these like insecurities and unhappiness and things come from, they were just given their looks. They were just born with them. They didn't earn them. And whereas if you earn something and you have to pay, like, I think I appreciated, you know, college more. I appreciate everything I have because I've worked since I was 10 years old, you know, to towards that. And so I just have such I don't know. I, just, I have a feeling of like accomplishment. I feel like I've, you know, and then I also have that feeling if someone wants to judge me for whatever the shoes I'm wearing or whatever, you know, like, well, I don't, I have no guilt about that. That's it's like, I, I, issue. yeah, I earned that. And so I'm teaching, trying to teach my kids that, I mean, even with our dog, we just recently got a dog last year. Yeah. Also a great way to get your kids off technology. <laughs> take the dog out. It's like nature and pet therapy all in one. But last year they asked for a dog for Christmas. I mean, realistically, they've been asking for a dog for, you know, nine years before that. But oh, that was just for, that was temporary. That was part of the same plan. That dog didn't work out. But anyway, they asked for a dog. And so on Christmas, it wasn't even premeditated, but they talked about it so much on Christmas day. I said, I'm not giving you a dog, but you have the right to earn a dog. So they had to forego um, gifts. They asked for contributions for the dog for birthdays. They did lemonade stand. We did a yard sale where they had to first tidy up and get rid of purge things, which was genius. And then <laughs> we barely, barely sold anything, but that was okay. We still got rid of a lot of stuff. The rest went to Goodwill. Yeah. But, and so anyway, long story, we, we got this dog and it was 11 months later 
And so it was pretty long for, I mean, for delayed gratification for kids, it was pretty long time. And it really like, I feel like it really brought our family together. I don't know if my kids are just at really great ages now, but I feel like this is like the best year we've ever had in terms of like, you know, and it's not like they were angels the entire time, but everything came back to like, you know, we're talking about trust and responsibility. And if I can't trust you to like, empty the dishwasher when you say you're going to empty the dishwasher how, how can I trust you to <laughs> feed the dog or take the dog out and when I was going to get the dog literally flying to Michigan to pick up the dog I said you know how do you feel about getting this dog like I'm actually bringing this dog home on Monday how are you feeling about that and they're like good and I said how does it feel to know that you earn this dog like no one just yeah. gave it to you and they're like it feels so good right and I, I tell them all the time like you'll get what you work for but I'm never going to handle you know I'm never going to hand you anything and I think um, the college admissions yeah, stuff has been a great such a great um, I'm I'm a little bit more on the like very transparent end of the spectrum with the kids like maybe some like, would say too much like I tell them too much but we listen. share with them what's going on in the world yeah like, and so if you're emotionally transparent that's key yeah so we talk about i'm like so they're like so what's going on like what happened here and i said becky oh yeah so this is very you said becky's going to jail so they love fuller house full and fuller house so that made it relevant to them um but i was explaining like these parents are you know are basically cheating on behalf of their kids and Ava, my nine-year-old, said, oh, that's so sad. Like, she got right away that those parents didn't believe that their kids could do it on their own or couldn't do it well enough. Well, and you know what gets me is the daughter, um, Lori Laughlin's older daughter, Olivia. Her name is Jade. Olivia Jade. So, oh, this really gets me about the whole situation. I don't know. Not that it's like, oh, cry me a river, Olivia Jade, because when the story broke, she was on like some yacht with the president of, of USC or something. So it's like, I don't feel sorry for her that much. But what she did earn in her life, I think, I mean, I don't know what her mom's involvement was, if any, but it, you know, it's impressive that she had developed an audience on YouTube of like, Anyone who's ever tried to do any of this stuff, like developing an audience on social media, it's not an easy thing to do. And she had like 2 million followers. In a lot of ways, I think her self-vision, self-view was not really that much about college. She was going to do a business. She had to deal with Sephora. She was like, she was doing it. And she, she was actually young. said she, she mentioned something like, you know, I don't really want to go to the classes. You know, I want to go to the parties. I want to go to the parties, <laughs> which is... You know, help but... her grow, grow her whatever. Her, her and I'm not like, so yeah, she might not have been this super intellectual, you know, per, she's beautiful and she was leveraging her looks. And I don't know, I don't know that I per se respect that or want that for my kids, but I'm saying that was who she is. And then the things her mom did literally ruined that entire potential. Like she lost her deal with Sephora. She lost her. She will never get that back. And I don't think she really even wanted any of that. So I just think that relationship with the mother, I mean, how do you forgive that? Or how do you feel close to your mom after going through and something also, like that? And also the modeling that happens after that. So you look at, <laughs> um, and we don't have to linger on this one topic for long, but if you look at how Felicity Huffman handled it and Accountability. she said, yeah, I, she took responsibility <laughs> She served her time. Yeah. 
and moved on. And I think I'm guessing that the judge, when he hears Lori Laughlin's case, is going to throw the book at her because she has yet to admit any wrongdoing. wrongdoing. Like, oh, and what did he do? Yeah. Yeah. It's very flighty and it's like being this, you're raising daughters and you're just. I think it's very entitled. And entitled. I think and like, she comes across entitled. And like, talk about tiger or what's that snowplow parent you're just you literally don't believe oh, that your kid you pave you pave the path you just push oh, I love yeah. that it's worse than helicoptering over them you're yes. literally like plowing the whole path for them and it's after seeing what she could do on her own she didn't need her mom to do that so it's just very it's so anxiety driven and it's so like I guess, and I guess the husband, I don't know how much he knew about it, but I don't think he's the greatest guy in the world either. But I, you know, I think together they were obviously bought into this image of who they had to be, their, their world they live in, and they would stop at nothing. And I just, I mean, I, and I was not surprised that so many people from this area were indicted and part of that because you see it, you see, I know how many parents have you run into who you know, like you find your like-minded tribe, but you also interact with all these other parents at the schoolyard who are the PTA thing, who, you know, they're the, they're doing this from the time the kid is like in pre-K. Getting in a preschool. Yeah. Preschool. You know, yeah. and it's so interesting too. Like if you really step back and look at um, the, the bigger picture, yeah, you have people like these folks that got involved in the college scandal and were paving the way, snow plowing their way for their kids. And at the same time, I can say, you know, my kids benefited from the fact that I could pay a college counselor. Now, this was a college counselor that wasn't writing their essays. It was a college counselor that was holding them accountable for getting things turned in on time and helping them discern where they were going to school. But you could also argue that there are plenty of kids in other parts of our local area that could never afford a college counselor. And so we had a leg up. So, I mean, I own that. Like my kids were lucky that we were able to give them that. Yeah, but that's also, yes. I mean, but it's always been that. And if you could pay tuition, right? I mean, it's lots of kids get into schools that they can't afford to go to. So they don't have that choice. So you have more choices, but I think there's a difference between that and like literally paying someone to either cheat or to create a a a skill that they don't have like, and a and persona in, in cahoots with a coach who's getting making hundreds of thousands of dollars to lie about yeah it's you so, know that go, crosses the line ethics line yeah you didn't do i think when you are a, a parent like you who you, you know you pay whatever a few thousand dollars you get someone to help your kid that in some ways takes the pressure off your relationship with your kid. hundred percent the and reason I did it. Yeah. I think it's wise. I, I didn't want to, I, I think parenting is hard enough and I didn't need to have any, first of all, I didn't have the knowledge really, especially with my, our middle daughter who wanted to go into nursing and I didn't know what schools offered a four-year BSN. Like I, I could have researched that obviously, but it was nice to have guidance and, you know. Because it's already you do so much work and so much research just and to other, get them into these private yes. schools. And then now you're doing it again. It's too, it's and I think if I were constantly saying, did you write that essay yet? Have you signed up for the ACT yet? Have you? That just builds further, you know. 
my goal as a parent is to get through the teen years with a some reser- like preservation of our relationship <laughs> <You will. laughs> without like major resentment and you will um, and one of the things that i think we're so lucky and kieran you're a great person for this is <laughs> there are people in our community that can help guide us through that you being one of those you know resources like there's you don't have to write a big fat check to get your kid in college. You can reach out and have like some parenting assistance or go listen to a lecture on how to, you know, navigate the teenage years. I mean, there, there are other ways. A big thing that's coming up right now that I'll share because I talk about this a lot when I do parent ed. Um, and I've been posting about this lately and it, it seems to be resonating with a lot of parents. Cause yeah, you deal with the tech with the phones, but then you're, the schools these days are on a, and you probably dealt with this. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Um, they have these databases with the grades. So starting even as young as sixth grade, but I think for a lot of kids, ninth grade, there's this like 24 seven access to the school or some database where all every quiz grade, every assignment is being uploaded, which you hope is being done on time. But a lot of, I was a teacher, high school teacher, and I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of times a high school teacher that data may not be like a hundred percent real time. You know, there's lags. You don't always get things uploaded. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I've had clients where they get addicted to like the pings and the alerts. And every time any little grade in any subject in a high school's li- schooler's life, you're dealing with like how many subjects, five to seven subjects, every little assignment, ping, ping, ping. The parents are on there all the time. And they're like, just so fear-based anxiety driven like oh my god my kid got a bad grade on this one chemistry quiz and they start extrapolating like that means they're not going to get it become an engineer and they're going to be so unsuccessful you know in a sophomore's life we had access to that it was interesting i um i i think i knew that falling into that trap was going to make my life so much more anxiety driven. Mm -hmm. And also my kids were good students, so I didn't really have to ride them on that. So I didn't even know what the freaking password was, honestly, but I would have friends call me and say, Oh, how did Molly do on the social, you know, studies test? I'm like, I have no idea. Terrifying. I did not have that growing up and I definitely would not have wanted that. But back to the grade thing, one thing I was thinking about the other day, you know, I'll say a lot of times in class because, um, what we do at Alkaline is very, it's not based on like equipment or a fad or whatever. It's just, be- and I'll say to people, all you need is your body and gravity. Exercise and movement and all this stuff that we're doing is you just need those two components. You don't need, we have props and, you know, things to enhance, but we don't have, and I was thinking like, basically I'm in the job of physics. Like we do physics every day. That's fitness. And, and my no worst, getting graded. the worst grade I ever got in high school, the worst grade I ever got in high school was in physics. Right. Well, and now okay. that's what, that's what my passion is. So that's cool. And you to know? extend your metaphor, I would say if I had to call one thing gravity in the parenting relationship, it would be connection. It's that feeling of, so like, for instance, with this grade thing in the database, I had a client come to me and she was just so beside herself. They had gotten it. Her and her teen son had just had World War Three over some stupid quiz grade in chemistry where I understood where she was coming from. Don't get me wrong, because you do want the best for your kids and you want them to succeed. So I'm not coming from a place of judgment, but just from an observational place of when this case came into me, it was like, 
she had totally overreacted to something. She'd broken trust. He asked him about a grade and the, her 16-year-old son and was like, oh, maybe I should go talk to your teacher. And he was like, mom, don't talk to my teacher. I got it. Let me handle this, like the trust thing. Because if kids feel trusted, like Esther with Jiggy's also book. also want to empower them. And empower them to take responsibility. Yes. But she went over it. So he was walking down the hallway the next day looks through the window and the chemistry um, uh. teacher who's in there, both his freaking parents. Oh! And he was just like, came home livid at her. As he should he have. Should be. He, she totally broke trust. This is the Julie Lithgott Haynes, like how to raise an adult. Like you don't, don't go, do that. Don't go, don't, you know, call in sick for your kid or like negotiate their salary yeah. or whatever. Like, well, and the irony in all of this is, or not irony, but get back to this gravity of connection. What I had her do when she called me for consult was like, ah, help, you know, he's screaming at me. He's so pissed off at me. And it's like, yeah, well I can see why. And the first thing you have to do, if I'm, if we're going to even work together, you step away from that database you are no longer allowed Like, get rid of the password. You're not allowed on there. And what you're going to do tonight is create this connection ritual with your son. And you need to understand that that's all he needs right now. You may think all this academic grade stuff is like the key central because we are taught that in this college driven parenting frenzy that everyone's in. We think the tasks and the grades and the coach, this it's like so important. But at the end of the day, trust me on this. If you do what I say, I, then we're going to talk and I want to hear how this goes. And it was like this very basic connection ritual of like tonight when he's in his room and he's on his computer doing his stuff. And especially for adolescents after like around 8, 830 at night, they kind of start to settle, you know, just go in his room. And some parents will say they won't let me in the room. And I'm like, just get in there somehow, and you know, open the door, sit on a chair, sit on the bed, just be quiet and just be sort of in the room. Your presence is in the room. And when they talk, you know, don't, don't say some fear-based thing or say some comment. Just if you say anything at all, it's to get them to keep talking, like ask an open-ended question, but mostly you're just listening. How do you feel? Asking things like, so how did that make you feel? And, you know, things like that. So she did that that first night. She ended up in there for a couple of hours. They were like lying on the bed, you know, look at each oh. other talking. He's telling them about telling her about girls and this and grades and everything and how he really feels about this. And she wasn't freaking out and she was just listening. And then it was so adorable. The next morning, 16 year old, you know, boy, this backpack, all this stuff, he's going out the door to school and he goes, mom, will you come and lay with me again tonight? Oh, oh so <laughs> and it was like within a few months, they, she completely turned the relationship around. And it was that simple, simple thing is just the connection. And also learning to be, I remember we listened to a parenting coach when the girls were in high school. I wish I could remember this guy's name, but uh, maybe you'll be familiar with this whole concept of, you know, moving when your kids are little and you're responsible for their day-to-day self-care, you know, you're really in the trenches, you're the manager of their life. And then when they're adolescents, you have to learn to shift into consultant mode where you're there to listen. You're there to, if you know, offer advice if, if, they, if they are open to it. But it's not your job to go into the teacher's office or to, you know, 
find someone yeah fill out their college application (laughs) or even or even wake them up for school like i quickly learned i don't even drive them to school well well i would drive them if they needed it if they needed it but um the alarm that was like life-changing parenting moment when i realized i don't have to go in there and wake them up and have them snark at me oh i can wait i can have them set an alarm and if they sleep oversleep the alarm that's their problem yeah natural consequences and that doesn't reflect no, on that's, you. No, it does that's not. not. Yeah. But I think that's maybe the challenge with some of this parenting stuff. It's people are so attached to their child achieving or performing because it reflects back on them. And I've seen this a lot. I mean, obviously there's the, you know, when back in when I was growing up and I don't see this as much here actually, but on the East coast, it was really big. Like your kid got into college and you slap that sticker on the back of your you know, car. Oh, so we had four. I mean, I see like it's pretty big here. Yeah. I don't, I guess I'm just like, I see the, I'm in the elementary school, but yeah. so I see the magnet, or whatever. but I don't see. So it's like, Oh, it's like, it's putting your Brand. child's account. It's yeah. right it's like on your car. Yourself, your right. Family. And then you've got like four kids and four Ivy league stickers on your car. And now I see, um, I mean, some people are a little bit more discreet about it, but I know it's happening. And then some people are, putting that stuff like on social media as if it's like it's like girl scouts like look at the badge i got look at what my kid just did or look at all the stuff they're doing and i think it's you know it's like i wonder sometimes are you are these parents doing it for the kid or are they doing it for themselves and i think there's a lot of this you know some of the things i really work with in my practice of course like hand in hand parenting i was trained and then Another big influence on my work is um, Dr. Shafali Zabari, who wrote um, The Conscious Parent and The Awakened Family. And she's a clinical psychologist in New York City, really, really amazing um, mentor and, and teacher. Um, and what she will get at a lot, and I think I have some of this experience from my own upbringing, but that sort of unrequited life of the parent and how when you are really a conscious parent and the self, you know, the, the light of self-awareness that you really care about having that in your own life. And that really a huge motivator for having that in our lives is so that we are not doing this projection, you know, because if we're not really turning that light of self-awareness to understand our triggers and our reasons that we encourage this and say this and put the sticker here and do that. It is so much of that is about us and about like, oh, I never got to do this thing. So now I'm going to project that onto my kid. And maybe if they do it, I'll feel more fulfilled. What if instead of that, there's this beautiful poem I love. Um, I think the director of our preschool used to put it up. I can't remember the whole thing, but it ends with the lines we can't teach our kids to reach for the sun. All we can do is reach for it ourselves. And mm-hmm. so I, I feel like I try as much as I can. No one's perfect, but you know, to really say to myself, well, what if these dreams that I have in my life, which for a time maybe sometimes feel unattainable with all the things you have to do as a parent, but now I feel much more able to take this on because my kids are getting older and it's exciting to me. You know, it's like, what if those dreams I really reach for the side, I put that effort in to do those things myself. 
it takes away the need to have this really forced expectation of my kid because we're two separate beings, you know, their yeah, life yeah. is not the same as mine and I don't control it. I don't own it. I, it has nothing to do with me. I mean, of course I care about it, but it's not a reflection on me. You know what I'm right. saying? You've already got your own thing. And I, yeah. the, I feel the same way with alkaline. Like I don't feel the need to live vicariously through them because I'm already living my own life. And I think, I hope, you know, for my girls, they see that I'm, Very I've grown cool. up to be something like I'm super passionate about something. And I, you know, I love what I do. And I love that I'm a grown up. When, when I went to that Challenger Success Lunch and they said one of the best thing that parents can do for their kids is have an interest outside of their children. Like if you are only, if your main thing is raising your kids, you you start to go a little bit like and crazy. Leave. It's like I was listening to this adorable video this morning of this woman recording this thing about how the <laughs> it was a little intense and she was so emotional but it was like how the process of raising a kid is like the slowest breakup of your life because they leave you you know and they yeah. don't need you and it's like okay you can look at it that way and I feel that way sometimes like as they grow and you look but at they them they still need you they do right you can speak yeah. to that 27 25 and 23 they still but it's the it's also yeah. the modeling of um you know, with the rise of depression and anxiety in kids, it's like, it's this, um, it feels like, you know, it's like, okay, well, if you get into this preschool, then you're going to go to this elementary school, and then you're going to go to this high school, and then you get these grades, you're going to go to this college. And then it's like, you're, what are you living for? The you're setting yourself up for, and then you see all these parents who are stressed and miserable and micromanage their kids. And then kids <laughs> look at that and think, is this what life is yeah. about? I mean, I think it's an existential crisis. I remember in high school being so interested. I was always very interested in the humanities and literature and all these big questions about the, you know, existentialism, all this, you know, I cared a lot about that stuff. It spoke to me. I asked myself those questions. I'm that kind of person, kind of artsy person. You know what I mean? My husband's like, not like that at all, but I am. But so for me, when all the suicide started happening in Palo Alto and I taught high school for so many years, partly because I, it is such a, in some ways kind of my favorite stage of life even though it's so intense and dramatic and all of that and in my life it wasn't the easiest stage but it was so formative and i remember the way in which i questioned the world and at my own teenagerhood it was so like deep and so there was so much need for meaning and inspiration i needed to feel inspired by my parents were very inspiring to me luckily i was very lucky to have that and I wasn't, I knew what I cared about, what I liked and who inspired me. And I, you know, my values, I, I just was always a person very, even from that young age, it was very important to me, you know? And then when I taught high schoolers, I could see that in them. And I loved shaping curriculum and lessons to really feed that, you know? But I, then when all these suicides happened and I, I was here, my kids were so little still at that point, And I was like, what must be happening? If, are these kids really, is that being fed for them? That was my biggest question. Mm. There must be an existential, some meaning and need that they're just not getting, you know? And right. then you live here long enough and you're like, yeah, that's exactly what's going on. It's like, it's too formulaic. It's too planned out. It's too competitive. You know, what do you think? Speaking of that, what do you think of the notion of doing away with standardized testing? I mean, I, if when I was doing all this 
teaching and school reform stuff in um, San Francisco, a big part of the driver of it was about, I don't know that we ever believed that we would completely get rid of standardized testing, but we were trying to create systems that would have these like, they call it like multiple modes of assessment. So for instance, one of the big things I believe in is that, especially when you're working with like equity issues, like kids, kids of color who are from poverty, but also our kid, you know, it doesn't really matter. Kids are kids, but it helps with these issues is like, instead of just giving a paper and pencil test where let's say a kid's strength is to get up in front of the room and, you know, talk about something and demonstrate what they've learned by sharing their knowledge orally and presenting and they feel really comfortable in their skin. And that's like a really good method for that kid. That kid is, may not ever show that on a test. It just is like not even available to that kid. So all of a sudden we've created a system where that kid's going to lose every time. Right. But if you create a multiple modality, and I posted about this last two weeks ago, the multiple intelligences that I was trained to understand as a teacher you know, there's physical intelligence. You guys have it being an alkaline, the the kinesthetic, somatic. somatic. There's um, musical intelligence, you know, this kid who can rap and all that stuff. That's amazing. That's such an important intelligence. You're not going to get that on a test. You know, a kid who has spatial visual intelligence as an artist or an architect or something, you're not going to get that. So how do we create systems where all those intelligences can shine through? It's not through a test. It's yeah. going to be through getting a kid up out of their seat, creating a project, having an exhibition, having all the families and community members come and see this exhibition and say, wow, these kids learned like lifelong learning, important skills. I think if we were had the courage and we were willing to put our resources, people will you know, argue it's so much harder. It costs so much more. Yeah, you can argue that, but it's like if we are losing kids and suicide and stuff, it's like, what's more important? Or we have parents paying someone to take your standardized test yes. because it's so important. Like, yes, what that is talking, it's going back thing. to values, like what you've lost the whole point of learning. Yeah, it's not learning anymore. It's, it's like any guy problems and, can yeah. just take your tests for you and rig the system. I mean, there's a difference between, like you said, learning and developing and being because there are people that are really good test takers that yes, aren't which is good too i'm not knocking that you know i was always Lucky a pretty for good them, test take my, you know and i think that's a skill it like i think it should be framed as this is one life skill that like if you want to become a doctor you want to become a lawyer you want to become any kind of productive a nurse a teacher you know you do have to deal with tests and you have to feel okay about them but it's not the point of your whole existence, you know, and that's what I think in our district in Palo Alto in particular, the metrics from day one, like I know from living there, the metrics of the test scores, the SAT, you know, you will quote that all over PASD is like we have the highest SAT scores in like the state of California. That means in a lot of ways, what also drives me nuts as a school reformer is as long as I can say that and put that banner on my website, what incentive do I have to change anything? Because most of the parents, that's what they care about. And so if, if we turn it all into numbers, we lose sight of this like diversity and complexity of like the kids and who they are. You know what I'm saying? So I, not every kid college is the right answer for. I kind of think we've done a disservice to 
kids in general by not having trade schools anymore or few and far between, right? Mm -hmm. For kids that, you know, going to a four-year university is not necessarily the best choice for them, but they could be a productive citizen, a productive human. And happy. And happy. Like happier doing yes. something. And make really good money. And make really good money. You know, like electrician. Look at all this construction going on around here. These yes. people are making a lot of money right. doing that. And it's needed. It's valuable. You feel accomplished. It's a project. Yeah. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think in other countries, they do a better job in like when they kids can make those choices. I went to a high school in upstate New York where sure there was a very academic track. Um, you know, there, me and my friends were in that kind of track. And then there was a whole section of the school that was vocational where kids, they did all, you know, working on cars, working on homes, working on electrician, working on plumber, working on woodworking, all this stuff. And I, I mean, I think in hindsight, I reflect cause I was a teacher and I went to ed school. I thought a lot about that. And I did think there was some like divides sort of socioeconomically. So whatever, you know, that wasn't ideal, but, but there was an option for kids that I think many of the kids in the programs went on to start their own businesses and have families and just be very productive members of society. So it's like, why wouldn't we do that? But yeah. in a community, one of the reasons we don't have that in Palo Alto or this area is because it's so affluent. It's so expensive to live here. You know, I think that was much more middle class, less expensive place. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I don't know. But I like I wonder for our kids, because they grew up in these environments, you know, and they see the divide, like because the only, people doing other work are like people working for their families, you know, like working on their homes, working, doing childcare work, you know, they're, it's not as integrated somehow. And I don't know how that's going to play out for our kids. Well, I think the challenge, the challenge is too, if it just comes back to like, I don't know, this feeling of like, I have to keep up and I want, I think a lot of parents have the best intentions of doing, setting their kids up for quote unquote success so that they don't feel like they're less than their peers or they didn't get into that school or they couldn't, you know, get on that competitive soccer team or whatever it is and it's like so it's like the whole system because we're all kind of in the same like almost like whirlwind of you know where it's like competitive yeah it's competitive and then you don't want to feel like you didn't do right by your kid but sometimes the um the the what really matters kind of gets lost yeah. in that well and to your points of both of you talked about this earlier about the earning thing and just to go back to that because i think it's related it's almost as if parents see what's out there the landscape and how intense it is and they will do anything for the kid pay for whatever pay for this pay for that and make it so easy so their kids never have to feel like pain Yes. And I think that's huge and unfortunate. And I, I wanted to share this week. I always go to different talks and learn from a lot of other people too. But some of the, the one of the people I respect most because I've had a lot of issues with like math in our district in particular. I think it's like very competitive. They track it still. It's like not a growth mindset. It's fixed mindset. The kids either feel smart or dumb. And I've been like, oh my God, when I was in ed school, like 25 years ago, we were debunked that so long ago. Why are we still doing this to kids? 
not cool at all. But Joe Bowler, who's a prof- I don't know if you know her. She's a professor at Stanford. She teaches math education, trains teacher math teachers, and great resource. She has a website called You Cubed. Dot org y o y o u c u b e d dot org and it's free amazing resource she developed with her you know team of researchers and stuff and it's like to supplement you know all these kids who you know like even in Palo Alto the best district kids are doing these stupid worksheets in math you're like come on can't we make this a little more interesting and engaging? and are they timed yeah and I talk timed. to you about that and like They're competing against your peer like oh, oh that gosh. person's so many worksheets ahead of you let me try to get to you know it's like come on guys this and then is it also becomes about and we've talked about this in alkaline a lot faster isn't always better no the quality of your answer is important Right. So understanding why why this is the way it is. And maybe as a girl, half the time I hear the people saying in elementary school, my kids, I hate math. I'm not going to. It's always the little girls. Oh, that drives me so nutty. Both my kids. I had both their conferences this week and they both said the one thing I want. I don't know if it was one thing I'm not good at or the one thing I need to work on or whatever was math for both of them. And Ava specifically said. I want to be faster at math, which mm. was this whole thing of like, do you know faster is That's better? And then her teach. teacher, bless her, Ms. Zeiser, shout out to Ms. Zeiser. It was like, I'd like you to work more on having the right answer and checking your work and being thorough and not just racing through. Thank you. Right. It's not Good like, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. not a race because yeah. So there's so many things, nothing is a race. And, but Joe Bowler, I went to hear her at Synapse Parent Ed, and she she made you cute because there's a free online class my husband did with my daughter that it like completely changes the mindset of why do math. It like is very engaging, lots of games, lots of thinking, lots of inquiry, and it turns on this different part of the brain around math to make it like the creative the side. creative side mm-hmm. and the side that's like. Everything around us is math, if you really think about it. Like music is math and, you know, cooking is math and all these parts of our lives are math that are so fun. And why are we, why are we like turning it into something so not fun for kids? That doesn't make sense. And especially when we have to train them to be steam, if that's where they go. I mean, you have to really get math to be a steam person. You it's all about math. So Joe Bowler, woman, British accent. She's so cute. Every time she talks about math, she says maths, you know, because it's like British. Oh, I think I've seen they've done something with her at Oklahoma. I think I watched something at Back to School Night. She spoke also, I think, there in Hillview. She's she's very well regarded and so good at what she does. But she emphasizes a lot in her talk that she's a neuroscientist as well as a math educator. And she says, when you look at the brain and you look at what learning really is, it the struggle she uses that word it's all about when a kid gets when a human it's not just kids when any of us gets to the edge of our learning like you talk about this even in alkaline you're trying to grow a new muscle or something it's a new muscle in your brain you get to the edge of what you know and then you're trying to reach for that next step of learning that struggle and your your legs are going to shake your brain is going to like ah you know but that is the key to like loving learning it's the key to learning and if we bypass that by making things too easy for kids they never get to do that so she's out there speaking the gospel on that saying like you got to let them struggle cuz actually the brain gets better 
and that parents around here like to hear that. And yeah. instead try and teach them ways to manage through that struggle. Right. Which, I mean, going back to the mental health things, Yes, you know, catching that early and having a support team around, you know, our kids so that, you know, when times get tough and they will, unless we're, you know, holding them with kid gloves and putting them in a bubble, it will get hard. And I think the measure of a resilient person is having the coping skills in order to deal, deal with, with that. Struggle. And the like asking for help. Yes. Right? Um, and you you can speak your daughters made it through the schools around here. They go they're in college, even out of college. Out of college, yes, done. So how tell us more about that. I want to hear your some Well, of first of all, in no way, shape, or form would I ever say that my husband and I were the perfect parents. We made plenty of There's mistakes. There's no such thing as a perfect no, anything. There, there is not. Present over perfect. Present yes. Over perfect. Present over perfect. I don't know. I, I've said this to people before. I, I attribute much of it, of my girl's success and their happiness right now to the people that they came into this earth being. Mm. I think, you know, Jeff and I did our best to guide them along the way, but they just are good people. And they, I, I would also give Jeff a lot of credit too. They watched him work really hard and, you know, nothing, you know, he worked really hard so that I could stay home with them. I'm getting teary just saying that, but so you know, just, I, that was a gift. I got to be home with them and I, you know, I, maybe I was a lazy mom and that I didn't want to micromanage them. But I also, I just in, instinctively, when I would watch parents coddle coddle their kids or you know fill out the essay for them or you know wake do their up for school wake, wake them up for school i thought you know there's something not right about that at the end of the day my job as a parent is to give my kids roots and give them wings right and if i'm holding their feet down only giving them roots and in some ways trapping them i'm not doing them the service and they're not going to be functional adults. Mm -hmm. And hey, I'm shout out to being an empty nester. I have all three girls off the payroll and living on their own and working and I'm grateful for that. Not good, good job, team. mom. I mean good, good job, job kids. Them. Like they did the but they I mean, did the hard work. So many people complain these days about the kids coming back on the couch. And I mean that is a huge accomplishment. Well, I feel that's I, like my number one like desire as a mom to get to that place. Yeah. And of course you want them to do well but it isn't about the names and the lights and the stickers it's just that it's like yeah. can they be independent can they take care of themselves and are they still wanting to be i the only thing i will say i'm i'm incredibly proud of is the fact that we're still very connected i, I talk to my girls either text or talk to them every single day and that's not because i'm always the one you know pinging them because i think that would be annoying although my youngest would say I probably ping her on Saturday mornings more often than she would like me to wondering what she did the night before. Cause I can see on her Apple watch, you know, how many steps she's had by noon on a Saturday. Anyway, but, um, it's cause I you're love not, her. You're not micromanaging at all. No, I'm not, because I'm not telling her to do anything different. And if I were living in Manhattan as a 23 year old, I know I would be right along with her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's oh having a, she's, if only you, the tracker was on her hand, you could see how many sips yeah. she took of whatever. <laughs> she self-discloses pretty well <laughs> no yeah no but in no way shape i would never say that we are perfect parents my kids i'm sure will be in therapy and it, we've demonstrated that going to therapy is a good thing so hopefully That's they'll reach thing. out and get the help when they need it and Great. you know 
but it's awesome. And you like being an empty nester. I do. You're like, yeah. what? It- I mean, I miss them horribly. Like for instance, um, I didn't think anybody was going to be able to come home for Thanksgiving. And um, Jeff was in cahoots with the two youngest ones and they surprised me and came home for a couple of days over Thanksgiving, which was great. But we're all going to be together in um, Germany where our oldest daughter is living currently. So we're going to Europe for Christmas. So we'll all be together then. But yeah, I do. I love visiting them where they're living and watching them grow into productive adults and just hearing, hearing both their struggles and their triumphs and but I think what's cool about Kathy, there's a lot cool about oh, Kathy, so but oh Kathy like didn't stop living when her kids went to college. No. She like reinvented herself. That's when she find, found Alkaline and she That's started true. teaching and she wasn't just sitting at home, like missing her kids right. or wondering where they are. Her, her life was existed before the kids and it is certainly existing after they're out of the home and it's, but I it think took that's a therapist to remind me as my kids were, you know, in high school and I could, we could see the light at the end of the tunnel. I actually had a therapist say, what are you going to do when they're gone? And I thought, I have no freaking idea. There you you go. know, I was that a special helped. ed teacher before and I didn't think I wanted to go back to that, but I found my teaching passion at Alkaline, which yes. has been great. And it's, I mean, I think no journey is going to be you know, spotless. That's such a farce, right? True, I mean, true, there's true. just, life is not like that. Right. And, um, but I think part of, I see in your story, this, it's so, there's such a reflection there between like how you are and how your girls are. And there's, I, I just, I oh, like it. I really sweet. admire Thank you. that. Thank yeah. you. Well, it's, yeah. it's a pleasure to watch them grow and just to be a part of that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, gosh, we might have to have a part two of this because I know, seriously. At every, yes. And you know what? If you're listening to this podcast and we know you all are, <laughs> feel free. We will have show notes at the bottom and feel free to reach out to Kieran or reach out to us with if you have if something sparked your interest and you would like us to speak to on our podcast, we are open to suggestions and you know, wanna bring content that is meaningful meaningful and valuable to y'all. And if if you are interested in feeling more in community and supported as a parent who's in this modern parenting thing with us, um, please feel free to find Pressure Proof Kids on Facebook and join us. And there are going to be some, you know, upcoming classes and books and all of that. And I would love to continue the conversation. Great. Yeah. Shout out for Pressure Proof Kids. I follow it on Facebook and Karen posts really good stuff. And sometimes there was something the other day you posted and I thought, oh no, I clicked on it. And then it was like, like, oh, okay. I'm not doing such a bad job. You know, like the stuff actually for me, (laughs) I love it and it's interesting, but then it makes me feel like like I'm on the right track. Like, oh, there's no every every it normalizes you the a lot of the opportunity stuff. to course correct if you feel like, oh, maybe I'm doing a yeah. little too much of that. A lot of good. Like the po- stuff you post is really, really good. So um, I also did. If you have, I don't know if your connected family is younger only or no. any. Well, the the courses that are in development are like the course you took at um when that was a few I years think ago. I only had one kid maybe at the time. Did I have two? I did this telephonic support, mm-hmm. which was awesome, and it was about my takeaway. From from that was many years ago was about creating time like special time mm-hmm. with your kids and to like this to this day that is the most important thing for my it's like what fills my bucket and fills their bucket and we have a lot of other buckets that we fill throughout the day and they get buckets filled by friends and school and activities and I have alkaline and 
all that I get out of that. But at the end of the day, like we meet on the pillow, you know, and we talk about our highs and our lows and without that, like it's really, and I do feel like kind of going back to like the over scheduling the kids and the, like, if we have too many things on the schedule, that's the thing that kind of gets squeezed. And it's like, my kids know, like, I just need downtime and I need connection and we need to like snuggle and that kind of stuff. And so connected family, it's like .net or my is website it? is the connected family.net. Okay. And then the upcoming offerings, you could join a um, newsletter on the connected family.net. There's a pop up there and you could just put your email and then any news about upcoming courses, which will be more, the ones that will be coming out soon will be more like a o- typical online format with video lessons and handouts and a group call. And it'll be, you'll get similar things to what you're talking about, just tools, support. I've developed this whole method called True Care. I'll be teaching that method um, to just help parents really not just make the mindset shift is number one, but also have tools that you can practice, like making the connection real in your daily life. And even if you have 15 minutes a day, that's my goal. Yeah, I thought the program I did was awesome. And I'd actually like to go back and do something similar with Tony. Yeah. You know, because I think parenting's a you know it's a, it's a team sport. It's a team, it's a team sport, team. and um, you know, you want to be on the same team for sure, and your kids to know you're on the same team. And so, um, yeah, I still I learned so much. Like it was That's just a awesome. formative experience, and I also felt the other thing I loved about that group thing was feeling like oh, I'm not alone. Everybody feels like. They're failing in motherhood sometimes or parenting is really hard. It's kind of a thankless job, to be honest, unless you're Kathy and you've got like three, you know, amazing, (laughs) fully grown, independent kids. But like in the meantime, it's hard. And there's not a lot of like, there's no, you know, medal at the end of the year for like. That college sticker (laughs) is not a medal, right? Yeah. It's like, that's how it's been set up for us. There's no participation award. No. Yeah. And so I think being in community and be like feeling this resonance with other moms is such a good feeling. And the authenticity of that and, and connecting with people awesome. who can, I mean, just today I was connecting with a couple moms about how hard the holiday season is. And I was so grateful for this one friend who just, you know, like she shared a couple things going on. I was like, okay, good. It's not just me that's feeling this way. And, um, yeah. and I think that there's, there's not enough of that. There's a lot of like, no, everything's fine. Great. Perfect. Yep. yep. No, my kid's great. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Everything's, I think there's a lot of like bearing and a lot of posturing and image stuff. And that just makes me, makes it harder. Yeah. It makes it hard. It makes me sad that, so we're all about, at Alkaline, we're all about authenticity, the real raw and human. Right. Yeah, that's true. true. And that's my my motto for life too. So awesome. well, thank, thank you. you this is awesome. This amazing. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining another episode of Alkaline Unplugged. As a reminder, please leave us a review on Apple iTunes or wherever you're listening. Comments, feedback, and requests or suggestions for future guests can be emailed to info at alkalinestudios.com. We look forward to hearing from you.